Good morning and welcome to The Skinny. I'm your co-host, Mitch Perry, reporter for the Florida Phoenix, joined by my colleagues here, Ray Roa from Creative Loafing and Ben Montgomery with Axios Tampa Bay and our special guests who will also be representing CL and Axios Tampa Bay in the, in the coming weeks on this program, Justin Gar- Garcia and Celine Sanfelice here on our inaugural show here on WMNF 88.5 FM. So thank you for tuning in. Now, I know most people listening to this time here at MNF usually are listening to alternative radio. Uh, so that show will no longer be here on this time on 88.5. That's going to be on hd 3s channel, on MNF's hd 3 channel, uh, starting up 11 a.m. on Thursdays and 7 p.m. on Saturdays. So for those of you who are tuning in for that, we apologize. This is a brand new program, though, uh, and we're very excited to be back here talking to you about that. So uh, let's talk about this. So now what's this show all about? The Skinny. So this is going to be a show. We're going to be talking every, we're local reporters here covering uh, news in Tampa Bay and in Florida. And this is going to be our side gig. So every Friday morning, we're looking forward to entertaining you and informing you about some of the biggest stories that we've been covering throughout the week. I want to thank station manager, Randy Zimmerman for helping to make this happen. And so uh, here we are. And uh, it's great to be back here myself. Of course, I uh, was with MNF. That's the reason I'm in Florida, frankly, is WMNF brought me out here in 2000, 23 years ago, uh, to become the assistant news director. A lot of things have happened in between then. Uh, and so today, though, we're going to do a little bit of a different format that we're going to do. Our regular shows coming up will be traditional, you know, a lot of talking with the news. We'll hopefully have some guests on here. Uh, we'll take your phone calls, which we will do today if you're interested in calling up uh, later in the program here. Uh, take your emails as well. But I really want to get, have you get a chance to know us and know uh, the people who are going to be the panelists on this program uh, each and every Friday morning. Uh, so we're going to start out here with Creative Loafing Editor-in-Chief Ray Roa. Ray, good morning. Good morning, Mitch. How you doing? Uh, it's good to see you. Good to be here. Uh, so let's talk about Creative Loafing. And let's just assume some folks have no idea, you know, what we do at all and what Creative Loafing is. So why don't you start out? You're the editor of Creative Loafing. Tell us about Creative Loafing. Uh, Creative Loafing has been around for more than 30 years at this point. Uh, Justin, who's here, we kind of joke that every time we meet somebody, we're always like, what is Creative Loafing anyway? Uh, you understand that. It's Mitch, a funky title, though, right? It's a pre-internet uh, name for a newspaper. We should be <laughs> Tampa Weekly, you know? Um, but you get it. You were there from 2009 to uh, 2014. There's legends of, of Mitch Perry um, coming into the office at 4 a.m. And um, I joined in on that tradition um, in 2019. I, I was freelancing for 10 years before that. Really? I got hired as a music editor there. Um, so my path here, I'm surrounded by you guys. Incredible pedigree. I stumbled into this because I went to concerts a lot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come on. It's and, true. And uh, are you from the area? Where are you from? Grew up here. I like to say I went to puberty here, uh, 11 <laughs> years old. And uh, I went to uh, Jesuit High School, Booker T. Washington Middle School. Um, and I failed out of USF and uh, got a uh, two-year degree at HCC. And then just sort of went right into all this. So uh, how was Creative Loafing doing? You know, I mean, when I was there a decade ago, uh, I mean, again, it's, it's still going. It's right. You can still read it. But there's always in journalism, right? I think all of us know this. Uh, it's it's nothing's ever guaranteed these days in terms of advertisers and readership, et cetera. How are you guys doing? Um, I mean, I always feel like we're doing good. You kind of mentioned it in your farewell um, back then how there was a Tribune staffer who was upset because they felt like the Trib was this little engine that could. Um, but you mentioned 
gosh, EL just does so much. And I think we do that more than ever now. The pandemic taught us a lot. For one, we laid off a lot of people. Um, I'm happy to say that we're staffed back up to pre-pandemic levels. Um, Justin Garcia, who's sitting across from us, is a huge part of that. And and when you say, how are we doing? I feel like we're living up to the mission of an alt-weekly, which is to... Um, you know, amplify voices that are truly, truly, truly are not getting heard, kick to the side. Um, and we're doing that. Um, we're still doing a lot of the other alt-weekly things, still write about local music every week, arts. We have a huge arts issue. So uh, long answer to your question is I, I feel like we're doing well, and we hope to hear from the community about how we can do better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great. Okay, let's move on with uh, Ben Montgomery sitting next to me on the right here. Ben, many of you know, of course, uh, Tampa Bay Times, uh, Tampa Tribune, right? That's what brought you out here. That's right. Um, and then, of course, you left the paper years ago, the, the Times, to go. Or you were already writing books, but you continued to be a full-time author. And then you came back to daily journalism with uh, Tam- uh, with Axios. Uh, how long ago now has Tampa Axios Tampa Bay been ex- in existence now? What is today? January uh, 27th? W- uh, two years and one day. We launched uh, January 26th, as I recall, two years ago. So, uh, yeah, I never uh, honestly expected to be doing uh, doing this newsletter. Um, I, I was uh, sort of, uh, you know, in my early 40s, looking at uh, maybe the next 20 years of sort of taking it easy, stepping away from daily journalism yeah. and, um, and working on longer projects, books, uh, primarily. I've done uh, four books now. And... Um, uh, and so that, that was like my ambition, and uh, and then I heard about this uh, this company Axios, uh, which had uh, at the time had a series of newsletters that covered topics, cities, future, politics, things like that. Started by the guys who founded Politico, right? Mike Allen, uh, Jim Vandehey, uh, and uh, who's the last? Uh, John Harris, right? R- Roy Schwartz. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and so uh, I heard about this, and I heard that they were launching a local pro- uh, product. Uh, that they had the ambition of really uh, trying to move into local markets and provide local news uh, in places that where the local news had been waning. So, uh, so uh, I was interested to uh, to get on board uh, a little more than two years ago, and uh, and since then I've been you know thrilled. I, I, by the way, I should mention I'm also humbled to be in this room because these guys are doing great journalism, uh, creative loafing for the past two years. I should just say. Is uh, has been remarkable. It's a must read uh, on a weekly basis because of what guys are doing. And so I really appreciate that uh, about Creative Loafing. And I'm humbled to be uh, with you, Mitch, and with these guys and also uh, also with Celine. Yeah, and uh, Ben, so let's talk. I want, I want to learn more about you yeah. uh, because uh, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in Oklahoma. I was born in, in, in Tulsa. Uh, lived in a little place called Slick, Oklahoma, an oil-filled town. And then uh, uh, spent my formative years on on the south side of Oklahoma City and more, which is uh, maybe on somebody's radar because three deadly tornadoes have hit there about 10 years apart. Um, uh, I went to college at Arkansas Tech University. I'm, I'm proud to say uh, the Harvard of West Central Arkansas. <laughs> Uh, I got. I wanted to be a farmer when I when I was a kid, and 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 thought th- thought I would do that when I was you know seventeen, eighteen years old, and somehow I was a good enough high school football player that Arkansas Tech offered me a partial scholarship to play football, and so. I didn't want to miss that opportunity. Uh, I, I had never heard of Arkansas Tech University before, but it was only four hours down the road, down I-40 from where I grew up. So uh, I went to school there with the ambition of being a farmer. My first major, believe it or not, was ag business. 
primarily because vet medicine was like, it took too long. Uh, so <laughs> agriculture business was like my first declared <laughs> major. And I found, I found writing in, uh, in college. I, yeah. I sort of fell in love with it. I had a, uh, an interesting professor and I, uh, and a text, uh, a textbook, by the way, I should mention that was full, it's probably put out, I can't remember the name, it was probably put out by the Pointer Institute. Uh, this is years ago, it was two, late 90s. Um, but it was full of stories, as I recall, that I had never come in contact before uh, with before in the newspaper. These were narrative stories. There were stories that had uh, character development in detail and some of the elements that we find in fiction, but they were in newspaper stories. They were true stories just told really well. And so this appealed to me in a big way. And I'm talking about people, some of your listeners may remember, people like Rick Bragg. These were folks, many folks who came out of the St. Pete Times in its heyday. Rick Bragg, uh, David Barstow, Ann Hull, David Finkel, like some great journalists who have gone on to do great things, who are all writing at the St. Pete Times and doing these narrative stories. And this is what I fell in love with and what brought me to, to journalism. And eventually, after working in uh, Arkansas and in West Texas and in upstate New York to the Tampa Tribune and then... What, year, my, what year was that? The that was 2005, yeah. Okay, right. And then, and then when, when did you go to the Times from there? Uh, one year later, about oh, ten wow. months. Ten oh, months later, waited. yeah, it was my it was my dream paper. So, yeah. the, so the trip, unfortunately, was just this stepping stone, but a great, great, <laughs> valuable stepping stone. Well, absolutely, because it wasn't for commodity. Them. Um, and then you were with like Michael Cruz. I know he's your good friend, uh, Thomas oh, Lake. Yeah, right? Tom Lake, you, 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 Kelly you were great Benham, writers, who were Lane to Gregory, yeah, Leonora LaPeter, yeah, so many great writers surrounded by them, Jeff Klinkenberg, and so forth. Um, great spot to be a young reporter, and this is uh, I, I owe that paper uh, my career. And you had some big, big stories over the years. Um, I'm thinking about the stand your stand your ground. Uh, that whole research into that after the Trayvon Martin uh, tragedy a decade ago, I guess it was. Deep reporting on Stand Your Ground. I, I, th I think the thing that most people know my work, uh, know about my work is that I covered the Dozier School for yes. Boys starting in about 2008 through, well, really up until I left the Times. And I'm still writing stories occasionally for Axios about... Uh, about that. Uh, the Dozier School, of course, was west of Tallahassee, a state institution that abused and neglected hundreds of, you know, hundreds of, you know, thousands of boys over, over its 111 years. And, uh, the, and the influence of that, we've had this uh, successful novel by the great Colson Whitehead that came out a few right. years ago that was based on your reporting, right? The Nickel Boys, right? Yeah. Won the Pulitzer Prize for him. Yeah, sure enough. Yeah, incredible. Uh, so we're great to have, glad to have you here with us, Ben. Uh, uh, so let's talk. Like, we, now we have a couple guests. So again, uh, Ray and Ben are kind of the core. The three of us are our publications. We'll always be here every Friday talking about the news. Um, and then when these guys can't be here, because again, we've got other job, our regular job that we're going to be doing at the times. We've got uh, other people with, with these organizations here, including uh, Justin Garcia with the Creative Loafing, uh, not the Creative Loafing, Creative Loafing. Um, and Justin uh, has been mentioned, has been writing incredible stuff the last couple of years on the city of Tampa, what's going on in local politics here. Justin, I want to make sure I can see you there, kind of over here. We've got so many people here. There's, hey, great to see you. Thanks for coming by here this morning. Yeah, thank you for having me. So so let's talk about um, you're doing again. We've talked about all the stuff you've been writing for the uh, Creative Loafing about local politics here, and we'll get into that. We'll actually we'll talk about that later in the hour here about what's going on. We've got a, a big election cycle going on right now. The election March seventh, Mayor Jane Castor and all the city council members on the ballot uh, for re-election. Uh, 
Kind of not. There's only a few cities. I get Jacksonville. I think is having an election in the spring here. St. Pete got rid of their spring, springtime elections. They do them in the fall. So, um, but that is going on right now. So, Justin, you've been at the paper for how long now? A little over a year and a half. I've been the full time staff writer there, but I've been freelancing for CL for a few years, um, and I was also freelancing for multiple other uh, media outlets during that time. I've written for the USA Today Network, uh, for The Nation, for the investigative reporters and editors journal. Basically, I was just trying to hustle and survive during the pandemic and freelance, and that was really intense. So it gave me a lot of drive, you know. And uh, weekly, what I do now for CL is just put out usually anywhere from four to six original feature length stories about hardcore politics going on, you know. Every week. Anywhere from that to environmentalism to. You know, I've written about music, written just about everything for CL, but usually focus on kind of the watchdog aspect, looking over multiple different agencies, whether it be the city of Tampa and the leaders there or police departments, sheriff's departments, stuff like that. By the way, if you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to a brand new program here on WMNF called The Skinny Here. Uh, I'm Mitch Perry. We're talking with the various reporters here that are around our roundtable uh, on our first show here. So thank you so much for listening. So we're talking with Justin Garcia from Creative Loafing. Justin, did you grow up around here? Or where, where, where are you from? Grew up in L.A. I think you're a West Coaster too, right? Oh, I'm very much a San Francisco native okay. and proud of it. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in L.A., moved here when I was younger. Uh, with family and then kind of got trapped here. But then I met people in Tampa. <laughs> funny enough, funny yeah, enough it, I moved it is from... It's a culture shock, right? <laughs> from coming from California. And you don't... Yeah. Now, you're there are more Californians. In fact, we say this is statistics now. Uh, you know, uh, people de- leaving California. Uh, some of them are actually coming here to Florida, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Yeah. But um, That's been intense. And when I moved here, though, I moved from L.A. not to Tampa proper. I moved from L.A. to Plant City, Florida. Okay. So imagine that. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm not going to say anything disparaging about the great city. No, of I love City. Yeah. I love a lot it's, of people. Right. There, it's culturally, it was, it's, yeah, exactly. it's unique, you know, compared to even Tampa, right? Yeah. Um, and how long ago was that? Because you know, that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I, I can't, again, I say 23 years ago I came here, and Tampa Bay area is much more got oh, yeah. going on than it did back then. Yeah. Uh, well, again, uh, fantastic stuff, and we're so happy to have you here. Thank and you. then uh, we've got uh, uh, um, Salit here. Uh, talk to us here from uh, Axios Tampa Bay. You, okay, let me make sure and get my notes here because I did write some. So, Celine Sanfelice, you were at the Capitol Gazette uh, in Annapolis, Maryland, when there was an, that terrible newsroom shooting uh, in 2018. You were, uh, and, and I just want to bring that up because that is something that was tragic in that you were, you were in the newsroom for that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, not to be confused with the awesome newsroom shooting that happened. Um, but yes, yes, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and how long do you work for the Annapolis uh, uh, Gazette? Uh, yeah, I, or, worked, Annapolis Gazette. I was there uh, for nine months uh, before uh, the shooting happened, and then I stayed uh, total about two and a half years. And are you from this area, the Tampa Bay area? Uh, I went to University of Tampa, uh, so I'm actually from that area in Maryland, Capital Gazette okay. was my hometown paper, uh, is still my hometown paper, uh, and I went to the University of Tampa for college, um, loved it, but then went back home, worked for the Capitol, uh, and then I saw Axios was uh, starting a Tampa Bay newsletter, and I was like, I would love to come back. Woo-hoo. And how's that been going for you? It's been going great. Um, uh, working with Ben has been really cool. I got to know Ben when I was at UT. Uh, a professor introduced us, and I sort of shadowed him and looked up to him. And so to be able to work alongside him doing this newsletter has been really cool. So, 
Yeah. Well, welcome, and you'll be a regular presence on this program. We're looking forward to you, to you being part of here every week, every Friday. Uh, great. Okay, uh, and I'll talk about a little bit myself here. So uh, I am Mitch Perry with the Fort of Phoenix. I want to let people know about the Fort of Phoenix for sure, uh, which is based out of Tallahassee, actually, which I used to work there. I lived in Tallahassee for a few years, uh, and it's part of uh, a whole consortium of, of websites that were created just a few years ago, actually, um, and that's where I was part of a 2018 uh, where the, the organizers of it were basically wanted to start putting, uh, you know, funding journalism in state capitals. And so there, Phoenix has, Fort Phoenix has five reporters or editors up there. Um, and I'm lucky enough to work down here in Tampa Bay. So my thing is, yes, I'm from San Francisco. I began my professional reporting career at KPFA Radio in Berkeley came here to Tampa and WMNF in, at two, in 2000, 23 years ago, to work here for, and I worked here for nine years, assistant news director, and we did create the WMNF Evening News in 2003, which, I, again, I'm very proud of that. Um, and then I left to go, as uh, Ray mentioned earlier, to create a voting, was the political editor there from 2009 to 2014. Then I went to uh, the publication, which is now known as Florida Politics, at the time, it was called St. Peter's Blog, named after publisher Peter Sorsch, and I was there for three and a half years or so, left there in early 2018, and then didn't know what I was going to do, and it was kind of a little scary. Um, and by the way, I, was, I came back to WMNF in 2011 to do a talk radio show from 2011 to 2018. Okay, so then in 2018, wasn't sure what I was going to do. In fact, at that time... I, I knew, I felt like I was not going to be able to stay in Tampa Bay area doing what I was doing, reporting on politics, that there really weren't that many jobs around. So I was prepared to leave and maybe never, ever come back here. Um, and then this, this situation with the Fort of Phoenix arose and it was in Tallahassee. And originally I was like, hmm, I don't know, Tallahassee. Um, it's okay there for short periods of time. It's been for me, but I don't know. Do I want to live there? So I said, I'll give myself a year. So I'll go up there. And uh, I really enjoyed working for the Fort of Phoenix and uh, and I jo- enjoyed very much covering the Capitol and covering government up there. Uh, it's ugly at times, uh, messy, uh, very conservative, obviously, in terms of our state legislature. And has been, by the way, you know, that we, we're officially now a red state. But if you've been in Tallahassee at all for tw- 23 years I've been here, it's always been red as heck up there. Um, anyway, so uh, was there. and uh, But then, it, you know, it was kind of tough. I really didn't know that many people other than a few people in, in the journalism world. And so I was kind of looking to see if maybe other opportunities come down here. And then in 2019, uh, Bay News 9 was looking for uh, their first political reporter, but I didn't apply because it's television and I'd never done TV before. But uh, they said they weren't, they said, hey, we'll train you. We're looking for somebody who just knows Tampa Bay News, political news, Fordham News. And so I was kind of like, you know, their guy. I'd been around for so long. Uh, and so I had the experience. So I did that fall of 2019, uh, three year contract I signed. And, uh, you know, I can't get, I, I would like at some point on the show here to talk not so much about my experience, but about local TV news, because it was really, uh, you know, very interesting experience. Uh, but I, frankly, my contract, I'm not allowed really until I think a couple more months. Uh, there's a non-disclosure part of it. Uh, I've been, so I can't really get too much into it, but I would just say that I was looking to get out last year. There's uh, a story here. Where it was like we're glossing over some stuff, Mitch. We yes, need to- yes. 
Um, but it's not, it's not, it's the people there are great. It's the, the system as it were, and it's kind of crazy. But anyway, so, um, and I didn't know what, again, it was a situation like five years ago. Okay. You know, again, there's not like a whole type of a lot of these jobs around what's going to happen here. And lo and behold, uh, I'd always stay in contact with my editor, Diane Rado up in uh, Tallahassee and there was an opening. And then she said, you can do that and you can stay in Tampa Bay. You don't have to go up to Tallahassee on what, you know, I will go up there and I have gone up there and I look forward to going up there. The session, of course, is beginning in March. And, uh, but I can be okay down here. And my focus is covering statewide news. Uh, and if I can do it from covering something here, I can. For example, I had a story last week about uh, short-term vacation rentals, actually, which uh, has been an issue, well, locally, certainly for, you know, if you're living in those communities where there's issues with that, that's, that's a story. But Tallahassee has been, you know, preempted the laws there. And so it's been an issue back and forth. And it's a real big deal down in Indian Rocks Beach. Uh, they just had a workshop, I think, uh, this week on that. And so anyway, I'm thrilled to be able to work for the Fort of Phoenix and I'm happy to be staying back here in the Hippie Bay area and to be here on WMNF. So, okay, so we got all, those, all that out of the way now. So we, you know, maybe it was too much information for some of the listeners here, but hopefully it gives us a little more sense of who we are here because we're going to be here every Friday morning. We hope that you tune in uh, for that. Now, let's talk about the news, okay? So let's get into it here. That's what we're here for. And uh, let's, let's go, you know, Statewide news, Florida, Ron DeSantis, um, who is a newsmaking machine. Whatever you think about Governor Ron DeSantis, this guy now, now, of course, because he's a national figure, anything he says or does, get this, even yesterday, right? He was did this interview with Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA about the, uh, he mentioned about the Republican National Committee chair, right? They're voting for the new chair today in Southern California. And he mentioned that he likes the uh, kind of insurgent candidate, Harmeet Dillon. And uh, and now people are saying she might have a chance now. She really didn't look that good, you know, against Rhonda McDaniel, the incumbent. So I want to talk about education, though, uh, because there's just so much, right, in the news about this every week, every day. Governor Ron DeSantis, again, it's, I don't know, you, you know, guys, want to hear your take on it. Just in terms, I've never seen a politician who has been so aggressive in doing things that no other Republican governor in Florida ever dared try to do. And he's being successful in a lot of these things. Uh, there's lawsuits in a lot of the things he's doing. He's upsetting a lot of people, but he is kind of quote, winning, uh, if you will. And, and, and I don't want to talk this right this moment. We'll go back to it. But like this Andrew Warren thing, just for a moment for last week, right? Um, you think about it, somebody who kind of lost it, but he still wins. This 59-page uh, verdict by the judge last week slams DeSantis as violating Andrew Warren's constitutional rights on a state and federal level. Of course, Andrew Warren, the Hillsborough County state attorney who was suspended by uh, Governor DeSantis in August for... Um, Things he didn't really do in terms of what he said, he wouldn't prosecute abortion crimes or certain issues regarding um, uh, transgender issues. Um, so the, the judge slams him but says, ah, I can't really, he went to the wrong court. So he still wins on that. But let's talk about education, if we could. Um, ben, you mentioned uh, you want to talk about this week. We had the situation down in uh, Manatee County, right? Uh, that's with, with uh, removing the books. What, 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 this situation here is. Um, What's happening there? Yeah, so um, Manatee County teachers have received a memo that uh, pointed to uh, 
the changes in the House bill that deals with um, what books can be included in classroom libraries and uh, I'm sorry, rather in, in school libraries. And they addressed this. The bill was passed in July of last year. Uh, Manatee County Schools addressed this when it came to the media centers and the school libraries, but they didn't address it when it came to classroom libraries. So essentially what they have to do now because of this new law, because of the change in the law, uh, is go back through all of their classroom books and some you know, some teachers might have 15 or 20, but others have hundreds, uh, and then vet every classroom book to make sure that it doesn't have any content that is harmful to children, quote unquote, harmful to children. So, uh, so where these teachers are now is, uh, they're in a predicament because um, they've got classroom books that haven't been vetted. So some of them have decided to take the books out of the classroom, box them up. Others have decided to put construction paper over their libraries to essentially make it off limits to the kids until they can get those classroom books vetted. And this, of course, has a very dystopian feel to it. Uh, The teachers took to social media, posting photos of their classrooms with the books all, you know, covered up. Uh, kids were very sad about this. Uh, there's some reports suggesting that the kids were crying and saying, don't take our books away and things like that. So it's very dramatic and very sad. Um, there is a, there is an out. Uh, the, you know, the, ultimately the teachers can get these book, books vetted. The school district is planning to send somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 volunteers to try to relieve this bottleneck uh, and get, get these books available to kids, the books that are available to kids. But this happens at the same time. There is this fear, not just in Manatee County, but overall about uh, what books might be quote-unquote harmful to kids. And as Celine reported this week, uh, Pinellas County uh, schools have, have taken a you know a, a book that a lot of people feel is a very important American classic off the shelves, The Bluest Eye by Pulitzer Prize winner Toni Morrison, Nobel Prize winner Toni Morrison. Um, do you want to talk about that? Just- yeah, um, so it's it's really interesting what's going on um, because basically schools are being told to err on the side of caution. And so um, the language and, and what happens in the bluest eye essentially is there's like um, sexual abuse and, and sexual content. And so uh, every book that's sort of perceived to be uh, sexual um is going to, you're going to err on the side of caution essentially, and you're going to see a lot of those books uh, being pulled from schools. Uh, but Toni Morrison's Blue Eye is really interesting because it's like, I I wanted to call it like the bandist book. Like mm. since for for yeah. years, um, schools have been pulling this book from shelves, uh, and it's I think it's important to note that it was a it was high schoolers. So this book is not being uh, given to elementary schoolers. It's not being given to to kindergartners. Um, this is this is for high schoolers. And the question here is, can and should high schoolers be reading books like The Bluest Eye? Um, I think we have a much larger question of what can and should uh, be going on in terms of what's being taught, especially in terms of black history and black literature right now. So it should be pointed out also that uh, part of the fear is stoked by this notion that somebody who is found to be in violation of this law uh, could face a third degree felony, which, you know, is a jailable offense. Right. I have a question on that, and I don't know if you looked into this, Ben. Is you mentioned volunteers that are coming to vet these books? What do those volunteers look like? Where where are they pulled from? And you know, how do we vet their ideals and ideas like that? 
Yeah, you're right. So as I understand it, there's a catalog of books. So every book has been, uh, millions of books have been vetted and determined, oh, these are good for our school district. These are the books that we can accept. So what they're doing now, these volunteers are not vetting the books themselves, but they're comparing them with this list that's already been established to see whether this book is on or not on that list, or to see whether that book is on a banned book list. But you make a good point because some of these books have not been cataloged. They've not been uh, vetted, and and I, I believe the volunteers are going to be a part of this process. And yeah, who are who are these folks? Uh, you know, there's there's standards, I'm sure, but uh, you know, uh, 500. Uh, who has the time, first of all, to <laughs> go into the classrooms and do this kind of thing? It just seems like. Um, I don't know the way these, uh, so I watched the Manatee County School Board meeting and the way the teachers who were protesting this spoke about it. They've spent years carefully curating their their classroom collection, right? These are not books that are going to put students you know, uh, in harm. Uh, they, there's no intention to, these are books that are meant to stoke reading excitement, to get them fired up about literature and so forth. And so um, I, uh, yeah, you, you got to want wonder who's uh, who's doing the vetting okay now it's again if you're just tuning in right now 1134 here on wmf 88.5 want to remind some listeners who tuned in right now wanting to hear alternative radio which is usually heard at this time here on on wmnf uh this is a new show called the skinny right now that you're listening to but uh if you are a big fan of alternative radio you can hear that on wmnf's hd3 channel and that's going to be uh, played on 11 a.m on thursday mornings and 7 p.m on saturdays um yeah what more there's so many issues with again with the education um, uh, I, I sent you guys the other day uh, a story that my colleague Danielle Brown wrote uh, for the Florida Phoenix that was titled that Florida's higher ed system faces a mountain of contentious changes under DeSantis. Uh, here's a rundown. You know, you're talking about Ben is in the uh, height in the schools in the you know uh, K through 12 system here. Uh, higher education has been really an issue uh, that's going on with DeSantis, and I guess we should say going still with the um, the high school issue is this whole thing with the, uh, the situation with. The, um, uh, well, let's see. I got somebody here. Do I want to go through the AP African American Studies? I wanted to bring this one up, right? So, two weeks ago, the Board of Education sent a letter to the nonprofit college board to notify uh, them the state would not be implementing a pilot program for advanced placement African American studies for high school students to earn college credit. And this is, of course, set off a firestorm of controversy. Um, a, a spokesperson for the Florida Department of Education told our Florida Phoenix that, quote, if the course comes into compliance and incorporates historically accurate content, the department will reopen the discussion. Um, that said, the history of African-Americans, history of African-Americans is considered required instruction under Florida law. Uh, the AP course has been under development, the college board for over a decade now. Um, and let's see, Education Commissioner Manny Diaz last week uh, or a couple weeks ago sent out a graphic of what issues the Department of Education had with the African-American Studies course, uh, identified several authors of supposedly problematic content. We saw Governor DeSantis mention this the other day. He talked specifically about queer theory, I think was what he talked about. Uh, but there has been, um, I saw, I think, a political report on this. The College Board wrote yesterday that they haven't changed anything yet or nothing officially has come out. They wrote, uh, to be clear, no states or districts have seen the official framework that will be released on February 1st, much less provided feedback on it. So there's a lot of uh, heat around this right now. 
we're, I think we're still kind of waiting to see actually how this comes out. Um, there is a threat of a lawsuit here. Ben Crump, attorney out of Tallahassee, mentioned this the other day. Uh, so we've got that happening. Uh, any, any thoughts about that? Uh, went to see the Moth uh, podcast record last night in Tampa Theater, and um, Bridget Jones uh, was there. She's the first black director of uh, the Bell Mead Plantation in Nashville. And she talked about how um, her mom was so upset because she had these degrees from Nashville historically black uh, universities, and she was going to work on a plantation again in 2019. Um, but then she went into the anecdotes about how she was able to tell that history to the people who uh, showed up to the plantation for tours who were decidedly uh, did not look like her. And it was difficult um, at times. And she made a really good point that, you know, black history is, is white history too, right? Like you, there are players in, in that history. And it's so strange to hear Ben talk about kids being upset about books. And, and you just think about all the things that you learn. So, I mean, anecdotally, you wonder why somebody would be okay with that. Um, you wonder about, about the lawsuits and how much money Governor DeSantis is costing us. And But at the same time, um, I don't know how to phrase this without violating uh, uh, you know, guidelines here, but um, you know, here's DeSantis who's gotten away essentially with violating a state attorney's civil rights. Um, what's to stop him from violating a student's or anybody else's at this point? Yeah, Ray brings up a good point. You know, I think not enough people are calling this what it is, and it's it's fascism. It's active fascism, right? And this is out of a, the fascist playbook. If you look throughout history, every fascist dictator has attacked education in multiple ways as they enacted the next stage of fascism. And I think in order to to, to stand up to DeSantis, people have to call it what it is. Uh, well, you know, you, you throw that yeah. out there, and it's extremely controversial, Justin. I have to tell you that, right? But, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's... Uh, it's happening, and this is a, you're living in a state where Ron DeSantis won by 19 points, right? Um, a couple months ago, this is um, this is Florida right now. Is the political strategy here for him to identify the biggest kid in the room and attack that kid first? Is that the is that the move? Because he's going person by person. You know, Charlie Crist was not a challenge. Andrew Warren. Not really a challenge. Maybe the, his biggest challenge so far, and Warren, of course, I think benefited politically from, you know, his misfortune. But uh, well, and what, now what? higher ed. Now, uh, you know, I'm turning my attention to new college. Yeah, uh, yeah. To, uh, to <laughs> that's a big one, right? So the uh, Christopher Rufo, who of course uh, has been, if you follow this at all, right, has been. Uh, uh, the critical race theory has been his thing going after uh, education uh, all throughout the country on this. And now he is one of these uh, members uh, of the board of trustees of New College, a very famous public liberal arts college, uh, progressive leaning in the Sarasota area. So, yeah. Um, this this is happening. <laughs> this is happening. Uh, they want to make this Hillsdale, right? The, the, the small college in Michigan. That's kind of the. Uh, conservative laboratory for these ideas that, I mean, of all places to do it, the most, you know, progressive college here. So you're, uh, it's, 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 again, it's happening right now. That happened. I mean, there's, uh, 
I don't know. I, I did read the, the count. I think it was in the Times or one of the, the reports on that. Uh, it, it seemed like the crowd was a bit hostile or some of the crowd was. And then there was some, you know, at least conversation going on that maybe, you know, um, you know, it remains to be play, played out how this is going to happen here. New College is going to completely turn over or not. Um, that's, you know, in terms of what it's, I, I don't want to say ideology, but I mean, there's a great column in Lagasetta like two weeks ago about yeah. how Hillsdale is this classical college yeah. and they romanticize it as such. But new college is exactly that, right? Teaching the Socratic method and whatnot. So the argument in the column was that you can try to change new college, but new college already are well on its way to being this self-thinking, examine yourself, ask a lot of questions anyway. Dwelling in the classics might not rend the result that the conservatives really want, right? right? Like, read the classics. That's, that's, I know where that's going to lead you, I think. But look, new college, this might be a, a tad in the weeds, but new college is, uh, what I know about new college is kind of contained to a very good Washington Post story by Eli Saslow and a follow-up book about a guy named Derek Black. And the interesting thing about Black was before he went to new college, College, he was in line to become a white nationalist leader. Uh, his father, his, his godfather was David Duke. Uh, he was a white nationalist who was sought after for speeches. Uh, his own dad was uh, the founder of Stormfront, uh, the website. Derek himself built a platform for white supremacist kids to comments when he was 10 years old. So uh, fully entrenched and decides to go to New College. The, the students at New College found out who he was because somebody came across after like a semester of him being there and trying to keep his head low. They found out who he was and figured out, oh, this white nationalist is among us. How should we react? And they had a meeting and they all decided, the student body decided that they would react by accepting him and trying to teach him who they were. And so they did. They invited him to a Sunday evening dinner. This went on for uh, more than a semester. They took him out to play pool, very gently brought up the notion that they know who, knew who he was. He had figured out that everybody suddenly knew who he was. But he started to change. And he went on this really interesting journey, this philosophical journey that took him from being a white nationalist, hardcore, devoted in line to be a powerful white nationalist, to being an open-minded anti-racist. And he was among those protesting this move. And he pointed out, uh, and I think, yeah. by the way, it's, it's bigger than Derek Black, of course, <laughs> but like he's the example of what happens when you have a situation like that, of an open-minded kids who are accepting of one another and who, uh, you know, engage in this sort of learning, communal learning like we all do. And uh, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if we found out at some point that it was because of Derek's story or because of some outspoken students like X Gonzalez, for instance, who's a student there at New College, uh, that this college has been targeted in, in that way. Oh, by the way, we do have, um, and I don't really put out the phone number yet, have I? I don't know if we're gonna have a chance today to take phone calls here. We probably won't at this point. We are getting some uh, letter, uh, some emails in, and you, you can write us at dj at wmnf.org. Dave, uh, David has sent in a note here saying, last week's school, I think he's talking about Hillsborough County, last week school board members were brought to tears in a workshop to determine how to answer DeSantis' requests. They are planning a public hearing to determine if the words systemic racism exist. They're being pressured to bring their inclusion policy into alignment with new laws. Some of the board wanted to modify the words. I haven't heard anything in the news about this. Jessica Vaughn, who's a school board member, said yesterday they haven't set a date yet for that for that, uh, that workshop. Uh, thank you for that, Dave. Um, and 
Well, okay, there's so much we can go in there. I want to make sure, though, because we have Justin here, Garcia, to talk about Tampa politics and specifically, yeah, Tampa politics. We've got an election coming up uh, March 7th. Uh, folks in Tampa, uh, you have to register, I think, in the next week or so, right? February 6th. Yeah, okay, so you've got about a week or so to do that, to participate in this election. So, uh, Justin, we know that Mayor Jane Castor essentially has been reelected, right, already. She yeah. face, is facing really, I think, Belinda Noah, who was uh, perennial candidates ran for other judgeships she's you know we're not going on the limb saying no it's not going to win this election so mayor castor has officially won re-election which is not shocking in the terms of that she would win re-election what is shocking to not shocking about tampa is i i said this to you guys when we met last month is that in st petersburg for example you know in terms of like a re-election that mayor's there's this, uh, you know, uh, Bill Foster, 2013, uh, less than a decade ago. Okay, so there was, you know, people weren't happy about the Ray situation, and uh, then the, 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 the pier was a problem there in St. Pete. Uh, okay, so he wasn't super popular, but Rick Kreisman ran against him in the first term and beat him by 12 points. I mean, the competition, the, uh, the fact that, you know, nobody was, Bill uh, Foster could not rest on his laurels. Then uh, Rick Kreisman, okay, so he has a few bumps in the road in 2017 when he runs for re-election, but then former Mayor Rick Baker runs against him, and Kreisman barely ekes it out, wins by two points. Here in Tampa, historically, uh, I've been here, again, for over 20, I've covered four, or four elections, I'm not covering this one now, but whether it was, um, and, and, and Pam Iorio, and I would even argue Bob Buckhorn were relatively you know popular. I guess Jane Castor is too, but you guys wrote something uh, in Creative Loafing, uh, the t- 10 top, or what was it that you had, like a certain number of like, kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah, what's, what's, what's the language here? <laughs> but like, things that have happened under uh, Castor's watch that have been extremely controversial, that um, I guess the idea is like people feel that they you know can't beat her, so they're not going to run against her. But um, it's been a it's been a, uh, a bit of a controversial uh, four years in office for Mayor Castor, I think. Yeah, well, a little insider baseball. Uh, Castor almost had a really strong opponent, and then all I can say is that things happened at the last minute. Oh come and on, that, that's such a tease. And, that, <laughs> and that, trying not to get trouble here. <laughs> and that uh, and that tends to be you know. Uh, an overriding theme with with her administration, right? City council votes for more transparency for her administration or for the police, and then things happen, and then another vote happens a month later, and then all of a sudden three council members flip, you know, and that happens over and over again. And that's the ongoing theme that that we've been digging into is this this problem with transparency, with openness, with being able to admit when you're wrong. You know, renting while black, also known as crime-free multi-housing, has been one of the biggest stories that's come out in the past couple of years, and Tampa Bay Times broke that story, and we've covered a lot of um, a lot of that story too. And you had Castor doubling down, being like, "This was great. This was great. It prevented crime. There's no evidence that prevented crime." You know, meanwhile, it made hundreds of mainly black people homeless. You know, and the Department of Justice, I was leaked a document. They're still looking for victims of that program, and they can't find them. And you know why? It's because they got kicked out of their affordable housing here in, in the center of Tampa where they're trying to develop new housing that's more expensive and they had to move out to the sticks or mm-hmm. move wherever else and even the DOJ can't find them. And that's just one example of the administration just not being willing to go, you know what, we messed up. This was a problem. And eventually Butch Delgado, the former uh, interim police chief, changed that program to a less intrusive model. But, you know, then you had Mary O'Connor move in, and we all know what happened with that. Right, like the story in right. But it's like, the overriding theme is a lack of transparency, a lack of just being a politician who's willing to go, 
let's correct things. In yeah. fact, the council addressed that yesterday, right? And vote, yeah. tell us about that. Oh yeah, so that was that was addressed multiple times over the past couple of weeks. But even Mayor Castor came out to the Times editorial board in an interview and said, "I could have communicated better." And she said she talked up her communication issues to being a former police chief. And we've talked about that with several people in the community. You know, when you run a police department, it's a military-style chain of command. You say what you say goes, or you listen to the higher-up until you get to the highest position. Then what you say goes, and everybody listens. As a politician, you have to be willing to go, let's break bread, let's admit when, when mistakes have been made, and let's correct things that need to be corrected so we can have the best city for all, all of our constituents out there. So let's talk also about, um, so the city, there's a couple city council races that seem... Uh, well, the, the, the gangbuster one to me is the Bill Carlson versus Blake Casper race in the South Tampa District 4 race. Uh, of course, uh, Bill Carlson uh, running for re-election has been a virulent critic of not only Mayor Castor, but also former Mayor Bob Buckhorn. That's kind of really, you know, what he's almost known best for, I think, in many ways. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, I think Bill Carlson, I think it's a fair thing to say, has mayoral aspirations. Um, some people definitely want him to run this time around. He, uh, I, I talked to Bill Carlson a couple months ago, early December. He, you know, basically, the, uh, he's not going to run when these, you know, is, is, Jane Castor is, you know, going to, you know, look like she's going to win because it's, you know, it's still kind of the establishment town here. So, but now he's got this Blake Casper uh, uh, candidate, uh, the man who owns Oxford Exchange, of course, uh, many McDonald's franchises around, uh, a, a donor to a lot of Republicans, uh, and um, including Ron DeSantis, giving a lot of money to Ron DeSantis, giving money to Bill Carlson actually himself, and, I, and he says they're friends. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this? Because, of course, a poll came out last week by Frederick Polls that uh, Bill Carlson said it was a push poll. We don't know about that at all. But nevertheless, and it's an, a non-named candidate. Uh, Bill Carlson was basically tied. I think it was 47-49 against him. Now you've got a real-life candidate. How do you think this thing is going to play out? Yeah, I mean, that poll, um, I ended up calling out Florida politics uh, for publishing that poll without being very clear about how that was basically just an ad for Castor and Cruz, you know, that the questions in the poll were ridiculous. You had Castor taking credit for the the Super Bowl and the the um, Lightning winning and stuff like that and being like, so would you vote for her knowing that she developed the championship town and all this stuff, which doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of questions like that, accusing Bill Carson of being a conspiracy theorist, which Bill can get heated, but some of the stuff he says is, you know, actually happening. So it's important to pay attention to him with this Casper situation. I think it's interesting because Tampa is a traditionally blue town, you know, the county shifted red in the last uh, election, but Tampa proper is usually blue. And Casper, just looking at his donations given to, you know, some of the most far right Republicans you can imagine, including DeSantis, $214,000, Trump, $100,000. And then in April of 2020, when we were all still freaking out and people are dying left and right. He was on the board that was pushing to reopen yeah, Florida as soon I as possible. That was and interesting. he stood by that in the I article I wrote. He defended that. He was like, yeah, I have no regrets about that. You know, meanwhile, people are dying left and right. And it's, like, it's not like you can prevent all the deaths, but two months into this massive pandemic that changed the world forever and you're pushing going let's get back out there people that that to me was well that is ron desantis by the way that is something that is maybe his way to becoming president you know he's running on that because i think public perception is is that i think it's so different now we're three what how many years now from when covid broke uh uh Three years ago? A million, actually. April of 2020. Right. So three, almost three years almost ago. Three. And this time, you know, late January, early February was when first reports. So 
I think that people, um, anyway, I just think that that is not so as, as controversial as maybe, you know, it should be when it comes to that, that what you're talking about with Blake Casper on that committee. Okay, so um, we've got another one, though. We've got, okay, Lynn Hurtak, you mentioned that, that, that Janet Cruz, right? The former state senator Janet Cruz, um, who lost, uh, again, part of the uh, Republican domination of the election in November. Uh, Jay Collins, a uh, guy who originally was in a run, former a veteran, uh, Afghanistan veteran, was running uh, originally against Kathy Castor for Congress. Then the Republicans definitely talked him out and said, hey, you know, we want we think we can take out Jana Cruz here uh, in the state Senate seat. And they did. And she, you know, Democrats didn't come out and vote. So Janet Cruz lost. She's turning it around now and running for the city council seat. Uh, and this, of course, has been mentioned many times. I, I listened to Tom and Janet's show earlier this week talking about the fact that um, uh, this would be somewhat unprecedented to have a, uh, a elected official who is a, somewhat the, basically the mother-in-law of the mayor of the city. Yeah. That's kind of crazy, but it's uh, it's happening here. So that poll you mentioned, uh, uh, Jason, uh, Justin, was um, uh Definitely looked, you know, strong. Janet Cruz looked really strong in that. But did you see any questions that were thrown that way? Yeah, I saw all the questions. Yeah. They, they were very biased. You know, it, it, casters on on the list of donors or, or clients of that poll group, casters at the top of the Florida list. You know, so they paid for that poll to make Cruz and Caster look like they're winning, whether or not they are. And you know, Cruz may be ahead. Who knows? We don't have the real numbers yet. Um, but it is one of those things where it's like when people accuse people of. Oh, you're being a conspiracy theorist, but then I'm running my mother-in-law for Tampa City Council against Lynn Hurtak, of all people, who's the one woman on council, right? You could have ran against all these other people, and you chose Lynn Hurtak specifically, and Lynn Hurtak has been pushing for more police transparency. Um, yeah, very progressive for, uh, yeah, platform. Yeah, trying to like support unions, and the West Central Florida Labor Council supported her over Cruz when... In every Senate race that Cruz formerly ran, the Labor Council supported Cruz. But this time they picked her tack for the city council race because of all the stuff yeah, in the yeah, air, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it's just there's too much, there's too many red flags to not look at that and go, there's a little bit of shadiness going Has on. Has there here. been, um, have you, I'm just got to believe there's going to be sort of candidate forums happening now. Uh, are there right now or have you guys? Uh, gosh, we're getting uh, close. So the, uh, the mayoral forums obviously canceled the Tiger Bay. Right. Um, but I mean, the, the, Janet, the neighborhood uh, associations had, usually have a lot of these things. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they're happening yet, but they should be certainly by getting here in February. I know when I was covering this thing, they would have, there's so many neighborhood associations in Tampa that um, in some of these election cycles, they, they were having, you know, tons of these. Uh, so we're not so seeing a, a lot of those, could let but us know. if, if, if yeah. those associations are, we want to hear about it over at um, Creative Loafing for sure. And, and, and we'll write about those. Uh, what a quick correction to the record. The Casper sold all the McDonald's. We yeah. don't know how much they made um, off of that. It'd be great to know, uh, you know, public official and stuff like that. But, um, and Mitch, I, I'm wondering, you know, what is turnout going to mean for these races, right? Like, if, if we see a Janet Cruz running against a Lynn Hurtak and Janet Cruz and getting all these big endorsements from, let's just let's just call it what they are, you know, like long, lifetime, longtime Republicans, Bob Buckhorn, Ken Welch, so and so. Um, well, Bob Buckhorn officially is a Democrat, right? Right. So, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I meant to say uh, I meant to say Democrats. Okay, uh, you're right. Yeah. Up for Janet Cruz, but you know, historically, <laughs> people don't vote in these municipal elections, right? No, they're less than 25 percent. But what happens if people show up and vote at this one? Is, do you see that happening, or do you see the trend continuing? I, well, that's you know, I, I'm not on the ground like Justin is here, so I, I don't I don't know. I would I, I I don't know. You know, in terms of like where how active people are or care about some of the stuff that Creative Loafing has been writing about. 
um, you know, with Justin, you've been writing about for the last year and a half. Um, you know, is is there outrage there? Is, do people think that there should be some accountability here? I, I don't I don't know. I think that uh, on, on name recognition alone, Janet Cruz is uh, is huge, right? She's been on the ballot so many times here over the last decade. When her tech has never been on the ballot, she was appointed, of course, a, a year ago to succeed uh, or replace John Dingfelder here. So we're yeah. running up on it, folks. We only have a couple of minutes left to go here. By the way, again, uh, a listener, and I get this, folks. I know there's alternative radio fans who are like, who are these people babbling on here? I, I'll get it. Alternative radio. We just got a, a note here. And uh, I, uh, so, again, I'll mention this um, again, that alternative radio is going to now no longer be on at this time. Sorry about that, but um, that's the situation here. It's going to be on WMS HD3 channel, which is very accessible uh, on your phone uh, or on a um, desktop computer if you don't have an HD radio, which most people don't have, but it's very easy to listen to. In fact, I listen to Democracy Now! at 8 a.m. through HD3, so you can do that. That's going to be on 11 a.m. on Thursdays, 3 p.m. on Saturday. So we've just got a couple minutes left to go here, folks. Uh, we didn't open the phones up. We're going to do that next week. We really look forward to your calls, being part of the show, making it happen. It's going to be a you know communication between you and us here. Uh, we want to get your your thoughts, your feedback, your comments about the things we've been talking about today. Today, um, again, kind of an unusual first show here in terms of we wanted to really uh, let you know who we are here. Uh, and we're going to be here, though, regularly here every Friday morning between 11 and noon. And we're looking forward to it. And we look forward to hearing from you about story suggestions. We're definitely going to bring guests on the program, either live in studio or on the phone here, and try to make this, again, as interesting as possible, make this part of your uh, regular Friday morning, uh, uh, you know, diet of uh, media information here. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left. Anybody want to say anything right I now? Just wanna, I just want to listen to Justin, I think, uh, <laughs> for an hour. Tell us what's up. <laughs> Uh, hey, we're getting some nice notes from people, by the way. They're all happy that we're all we're here. So, uh, uh, yes, in fact, somebody just mentioned, uh, uh, mentioning all of our names here, but it's calling the indefatigable and essential Justin Garcia. So, uh, yeah, Justin's face is very red right now. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, yeah, and again, so I think, again, we're going to hopefully build up our listenership here. And uh, I, look, hopefully my friends in Tallahassee are listening right now on WMNF.org. And, of course, you can do that as well. So, again, really th thanks to hear from a lot of people here um so yeah. i would just encourage people to call up the florida phoenix online yes go grab you. a paper copy of creative loafing <laughs> off the stands yes we want you to subscribe. read us okay we want you to read floridaphoenix.com we want and you to read subscribe Ax to axios tampa See, bay yeah, for free yeah you guys have uh, you the axios has a newsletter so like we do too actually right so we'll, we'll be in your inbox at 6 30 a.m every weekday morning wake up with selene and i now do you write that in the morning or do you Me. write that the night before Oh, we we're always writing. Always. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes in the morning, sometimes at night. Okay. We never stop. Uh, so um, I think we're ready to do, uh, say goodbye here. I want to make sure to... There we go. Uh, Skip, Scass, Skip Sassy has been our engineer. Skip Sassy, thank you, Skip. Did a great job here today. Greg, of course, helping out. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you guys being here. Again, want to thank WMNF Management for uh, getting us on the program on the air here. Sign so, us out, Celine. All right. <laughs> uh, any final words? Um, oh yeah, Ben said, "Wake up with Ben and Celine every morning." We're looking for a third. So uh, <laughs> hello. All right. Okay. So again, you are listening to WMNF Tampa, eighty-eight point. FM. This has been The Skinny. We'll see you this time, same time, next week at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.